Praise God. We are called to follow. Our gospel message that Jesus came to give to us is that we serve ascending God. We, have, we serve a God who sends. And that means that we are called. If, if we are called, we're called to be sent out to do for God what God desires, his will for us. And as we go through the, 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 the books of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see a God on mission. A God who desires to bring humanity back into completeness and relationship with him. And in order for God to do that, he constantly, like a ch mother or a father with their child, call to their attention that he loves them. You know, we often say to our children, well, us in this generation, because many of us grew up never hearing our parents telling us they love us. Instinctively, we knew they love us. But they never articulated to us that they love us. Amen? Well, you know, I, I, I have to be careful what I say. But for many of us, generations past, our parents didn't know how to articulate the love language. And for, for many of us, we end up feeling broken over it. Because, you know, as we say in nursing, if you didn't write it, it wasn't done. That doesn't mean you didn't do it. But you just forgot to write it down. And sometimes the same thing happens in our relationship with one another, and especially parental relationships. We know they love us, but they just fail to tell us that they love us. And sometimes that can cause brokenness in our lives, for the whole of our lives, that feeling that I'm not loved. But here is a God who persistently, constantly, Say to his children how much he loved them. In fact, the first commandment that he made was for them to understand that love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because why? I am a God who loves you. And throughout all of the New Testament scriptures, God persistently, constantly articulated his love for humankind. And yet, in that love relationship, we became separated from God because of sin. But God constantly pursues those he loves in spite of our failure, in spite of our propensity to sin. Isn't that love? That's grace. That's unmerited favor. That's the kind of love that when we don't deserve it, he still pours it on us. That was the kind of love that Jesus in his mission came to articulate to humanity. And it not only articulated, but he demonstrated it. The Apostle Paul says that God demonstrated such a love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's the kind of love that we ought to have for God, that we will be willing to die for the cause of Christ. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you're going to come after me, you ought to know that you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you're going to die hard. And many of the early church understood that, accepted that, embraced that. They did not seek their own comfort. They sought, if possible, to die just like Jesus did. Because they believed in the kingdom message. They believed that this message was big enough, bold enough, strong enough, powerful enough to give their very lives to it. But you know what? They didn't always get the message. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 14. We've been speaking for the past many weeks now on the theme, Go. And we've been, we've been using the parables of Jesus to articulate what the mission of God means, what the kingdom of God means. And Jesus tell, told us all those parables. They call them the parabolic messages because he used parables of metaphor, as metaphors to describe what the kingdom of heaven was like. But it wasn't always parables. 
It wasn't always innuendos and messages to try to explain the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, it came down to the nitty-gritty because Jesus realized, man, uh, my time is up here. And if they haven't gotten the kingdom message yet, they're not going to ever get it again. Because I'm leaving. And the only way they can understand this is I'm going to have to leave my spirit here. Not my bodily presence, but my spirit to remind them constantly of all the things they've seen me do and heard me say. But here Jesus was at the end of his mission. and All of the gospels kind of tell this scene and this story. Jesus is having his final supper with his disciples. And because it's the final message in the series, I felt I need to go there. <laughs> but it's, an, it's, an, it's a never-ending series, really, because it's articulating what means the most to Jesus. What is going to happen when he leaves? How are these disciples, those who have been separated for his cause and his mission, how are they going to last in this wicked world? How are they going to do it? Because I'm sending them out as sheep, sheep, sorry, among wolves. I'm sending them in a world that is messy and dark and dangerous. Still is today. But we got to live the call. In spite of, we got to live the call. And that's our message today. In spite of the world you're in, live for Jesus. Live the call upon your life. Here's his disciples having a last meal with Jesus. This is a typical communion passage. But it's a never-ending plea. And, and he's telling them about his blood, that it's going to be poured out for, for many He's saying that he made an agreement with God that he's going to give his life for us. And then he's telling them that from now on, they will not drink with him and eat with him until they come into the Father's kingdom, God's everlasting kingdom. And they were happy with it. They were singing songs, heading off to Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives. They left that table feeling good. I mean, they were singing songs. I'm sure they were in death hymns. Because after communion, that was the thing to do with the Passover. You sing songs. And, and they're on a spiritual high. Kind of like they went to a retreat where, you know, you go to the retreat and you're on a spiritual high. Or you go to a CWC convention with thousands of people and you're on a spiritual high. They want a spiritual high. And, and Jesus says, okay, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to go up to the Mount of Olives. There was an anticipation there. And then chapter 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples. <laughs> what a party pooper. All of you will reject me. What? After three years of intense discipleship. <laughs> Jesus says, all of you will reject me. As the scriptures say, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Woo! What a, what a blow. Who says that? If you want your disciples to really follow you, do you tell them? All of you are going to reject me. That's scary. And then he said, but after I'm raised to life, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter spoke up. He says, look, even if John and Nathaniel and Andrew and Levi and James and Thaddeus and all the others reject you, Lord, no, never, not me, never will. <laughs> oh, that we are so self-assured about our salvation. Peter spoke up. The others kept quiet. Sometimes it's good to keep quiet. And Jesus says, Peter... 
very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will say three times that you don't know me. But Peter was so sure of himself that he said, look, even if I have to die with you, I will never say I don't know you. And then the others spoke up. Peter is a great union leader, you know. He just got them so going with conviction that they said, neither me, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't reject you. I, I, I would never do that. And they all said the same thing. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he told them, sit here while I pray. <laughs> but he took Peter, James, and John. He was sad and troubled. He told them, I'm so sad that I feel as if I'm dying. Stay here. Keep awake with me. Have you ever? And Jesus walked on a little way, and then he knelt down on the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, don't let this happen to me. Father, you can do anything. Don't make me suffer by drinking from this cup. But do what you, what you want and not what I want. And when Jesus came back, he found the disciples sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon Peter, the one who says, you know. And he said, Peter, are you asleep? Can't you stay awake for just one hour? Stay awake and pray that you won't be tested. You, won't, you want to do what is right, but you are weak. And Jesus went back and prayed the same prayer. But when he returned to the disciples, he found them sleeping again. They simply could not keep their eyes open, and they did not know what to say. When Jesus returned to the disciples a third time, he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough of this. The time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to sinners. Get up. Let's go. The one who will betray me is already here. Jesus was arrested. And Jesus was still speaking when Judas the betrayer came up. He was one of the 12 disciples. And the mob of armed men with swords and clubs were with him. They had been sent by the chief priests and the nation's leaders and the teachers of the law of Moses. Judas had told them ahead of time, arrest the man I greet with a kiss. Tie him up tight and lead him away. And Jesus walked right up to, Judas walked right up to Jesus and said, teacher. And then he kissed him and the men grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Someone standing there pulled out a sword. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to the mob, Why do you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like a criminal? Day after day, I was with you. I taught in the temple. And you didn't arrest me. But what the scriptures say must come true. And all the disciples ran off and left him. One of them, a young man who was wearing only a linen cloth. And when the men grabbed him, he left the cloth behind and ran away naked. As I was reading that, I was like, what's the point of that? Verse 
<laughs> 51 and 52. So I'm not going to exegete on that. But we'll get, we'll get to that another time and figure out who this young man was <laughs> that kind of tried to stay. But eventually he ran away naked. What I want to say today is that even as Jesus is leaving, fatigue set in with the disciple. At a time when they should be standing up for righteousness and, and justice and stand with the man from Galilee, they were afraid. They got consumed with the things that were happening around them and they backed away. You know, sometimes we think that that is just in the story of Jesus' earliest followers. But there is that need all of us at times need to hear over and over again. That we need to live out our call because there are going to be hard times along the way. There are going to be those seasons in our lives where we wonder if we should run for our lives. If we should find a little place just to escape it all. And, um, and today I realize that the church is falling away. We're living in a season where look around you. Young people particularly have fallen away. Many have started on the journey with Jesus. They have sat at the table and eat. They've taken in all that the word of God said. Some of them have made decisions to serve Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes this sinner's prayer can just be a little bit of a problem. Because we get to the place where we think if we've just said the sinner's prayer, we're okay. We're fit for the kingdom. We're ready to fly. But then life comes and life happens. And some of us can't even remember the day we said that sinner's prayer. Because we become so caught up in life. That in other ways, we're denying Jesus and we don't even know it. And so today, I want to speak to us to make sure that we're not denying Jesus Christ just by the way we live, by the way we speak, by the places we go, by the things we do. Are we truly in line with the mission of God? Past few weeks, we spoke on all these parables. Some of them were Parables to do with the seeking and the saving of the lost. Some were stewardship parables of what we do with what God has given us, our time, our talents. And then last week we spoke about putting up and laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt so that we do not become so consumed with material things and the things of the world that we put the kingdom of God below the things that we seek and desire. As we look at the, the early disciples, what was it? Was it material things? No. What was it? It was looking out for their own lives. Especially when Jesus in one text told them, when they go into the mission field, don't take anything with them. No clothes, no shoes, no food, no nothing. Just go two by two into these places. God will protect you and provide for you. In another scripture, Peter says to him, should we arm ourselves? He said, you know, the day is going to come when you may want to arm yourselves, but not necessarily picking up weapons of warfare. Because he says, you know, Rome is going to come. And these buildings and all of these things will be teared down and broken down. That great temple, it will fall. The you cannot fight the empire with weapons. Because Rome is bigger than you. But watch and pray because you do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will return. And Jesus wanted them to be prepared spiritually. Because he knew that Rome was going to attack them. He knew that Herod was going to kill them. He knew that they were going to find themselves in deep waters. And so Jesus wanted to strengthen them on the inner man. And it's the same today. If we're going to live the call of God, we've got to be strong. 
Church, we got to raise up in ourselves a sense of holiness and a sense of desire that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, we will stand. We will not deny him. You know, Peter and the others did not intentionally deny Jesus. But you got to go back into the culture of what they were dealing with. The Sanhedrin was powerful. And this is what Jesus couldn't understand. He said, you come now to arrest me. I, I, I preached to you. I was with you in the temple, in the synagogue. Sometimes when we think of Jesus, we tend to separate him from his role as a Jew. But he was rabbi. He was rabbi. He was one of them. He taught some of them. And yet the disrespect that he had to endure. But then those who were closest to him had trouble keeping up with him. You know, this, this is part of the chagrin of leadership. Because when you lead, <laughs> people will not always follow your leadership. You, leaders need extra energy. Leaders need extra motivation. There's got to be something deeper in a leader that keeps them going. And sometimes it's like living like a salmon life, you know, where the salmon doesn't, they don't go downstream. They forge their way up against the current and the stream so they could go and lay their egg. So that fruit will continue in their lives. This is the kind of spirit that was required that night. Jesus tried to, to pull that out of his disciples. They were tired. And sometimes I wonder if they were just tired because of the activities. Or was it that the enemy of their souls just said, you know what? Let's just keep them so sleepy that he has to really consider what he's doing. Kind of like when he was in the wilderness and the enemy come and said to him, man, you're hungry, eat. Just say to these stones, come, uh, I'll make you into bread and eat. He says, what, 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 what are you doing here? Just, just throw yourself off this high precipice. Angels will come and minister to you. I am sure that in that moment when he was in the garden and he was desperate, the word of God said he was really sad unto death. It was one of those moments where as a leader, he needed their power and their strength and their prayer to keep him up and going. But instead, they fell asleep. Do you ever think sleeping is rejecting Jesus? He precipices this by saying, you're going to deny me. No, 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 Lord, I'm not going to deny you. But the first thing they did was fall asleep when he needed them the most. Sleepiness is denial. It's very subtle. But there are times when we have to be forced to keep our eyes open. Do you know what I mean? Those of you who are working on your master's degree and all these kinds of stuff that are studying. Have you ever had a paper to finish but sleep is just hitting you upside down? Come on. But you only got a, a certain window of time so you go down and you make some coffee. And you drink some green tea. And you run off to shoppers and you buy some awake. Have you ever been there? What about on the job? Sometimes you're on the job and sleep is, is knocking you upside down. I remember one time I'm driving to Bolton on, on my job. And I pulled up, up in, a, in a little um, area of Highway 50. And I parked my car and the temptation to just gop my window this much and put my, my, my seat back. And get a power nap. But I say, I don't feel safe here. <laughs> I desperately need a power nap, but I don't feel safe. 
So I called my husband. I called him for every little thing. He's working. I call him. I said, man, I need to get into Bolton, but I, I only make it to 50 in Castlemore. I said, what are you going to do? I said, I just feel like, I just feel like getting a power nap. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. He goes, are you close to a shopper's drug mart? I go, no, I'd have to drive all the way into Bolton to find a shopper's. He goes, well, you know, if you can get there, just go in there and buy some of those awake pills. I don't remember if I did that or not. But I'm just saying that when duty calls, we hang in. We push. We persevere. Because we could get fired. Because your paycheck. Because your work life. Oh, we put ourselves out for the things of the world. But when Jesus said to Peter and the others, stay awake, I need you, they fall asleep. But before we are quick to condemn them and say, oh, terrible. We must ask ourselves, in what ways are we falling asleep in the kingdom of God? In what ways are we denying Jesus by not putting our lives on the line for him? In what ways, when we're called to pray, we say we'd rather watch CNN? In what times, when we're called to pray and we're on our knees and we're dreaming or we're falling asleep on our knees, do we stir ourselves and say we got to hang in there because lives are depending on me interceding for them? Do we fall asleep? When it's time to pray. Well you could say. Well this was a desperate moment for Jesus. They had no excuse. But listen to me folks. We're living in desperate times. And we're called to make intercession. On behalf of one another. We got to hunker down. To pray for the next generation. If we want to see them in the kingdom of God. We got to pursue them in prayer. Because they're under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of deception. They're under a lot of distraction. They're under a lot of things, God. You know and I know that many of them are sleeping in their beds this morning when they should be in church. Many of them were out partying all night last night so they can't get up this morning to be in God's house. Don't you ever think that the reason that the young people are not in the church today is all the church's fault. We hear that all the time. They say, oh, they're hypocrites. They don't live what they preach, they're right. But that is still no excuse for them if they've heard the call of God on their lives. They are the ones who have defected and abandoned the faith. It happened in the Bible and it's still happening today. But even as we hold each other accountable for our salvation journey and experience, it is still preponderance upon us to stay awake. Stay awake. In one of the parables, we talked about the ten virgins. Five were foolish and five were wise. Five stayed on the task and five fell asleep. And by the time they woke up, the bridegroom had arrived and they're like, what happened? And as they tried to enter in and they knocked and they knocked and they knocked, the door was closed, it would not open. And so here's what we, what we want to uh, bring to your remembrance today. It is not just physical sleep, but spiritual sleep. When we are spiritually asleep, the enemy comes in in one of the parables that Jesus sp spoke about. And he sowed the tears among the wheat. Because we're not watchful enough, we allow the enemy to come and make headway into the lives of our family, our children, and even ourselves. There needs to be a diligent, I don't know about you, but I'm very sad. I feel the sadness of Jesus when I see what is happening among our next generation and our youth. At times... I cannot express it. 
At times I don't know why and what it is. But I know and I believe that if I am sad when I look at the next generation, Jesus is still sad. And he's calling us. He's calling us, church, to stand in the gap for them. He's calling us, church, to speak into their lives. He's calling us, church, to let them know that he loves them from eternity and back. He loves them and he wants them in the kingdom of God. That is our task. We are the called ones. And we have no excuse. We cannot afford to, to just fold our hands and say it has nothing to do with me. I think one of the most heartbreaking things in the church is when older folks in the church, seniors in the church, people who have been in the church for many years just sit back and fold their hands and watch a next generation die. Lost to the things of the kingdom. This story sounds almost amusing. When you see Jesus say to them, you're going to deceive me. You're going to reject me. And one by one, we watch them run away. As Jesus is being arrested and handcuffed or, or whatever, and he's taken away, one young man of the whole group tried to stay. But what do you do? When you see all the other crowd going one way. And you may try. There's such a thing as a herd mentality. It's tough to follow when you see everyone going in the other direction. He tried to stay. But when the men grabbed him, he left his cloth behind and ran away naked. That showed you how desperate they were as they flee from Jesus' side. And the story goes on how when they arrested Jesus and they brought him before the council, what Jesus spoke into Peter and he said to him, Peter, by the time the cock crows twice, you would have denied me three times. And Peter may have argued to himself, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. But just as Jesus predicted, the Bible tells us that a young lady spotted Peter and she says, I know you, you're one of those who follow Jesus. He says, no girl, what are you talking about? You don't know me. I, I, no, that's not me. And then another person says, yeah, yeah, he's the one. And then another. And Jesus was hearing all of this. And Jesus looked over at Peter. I told you so. <laughs> I told you. And Peter felt nothing but shame. Not until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And Jesus confronted Peter at the seashore when he had backslidden, sort of, and gone back to his fishing profession. When Jesus had called him to be fisher of men. Did he realize how much Jesus loved him? He said, Peter, 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 do you love me more than these? But Lord, you know I love you. Well, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, God, you, you know I love you. Then feed my lamb. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asked him, to express his deep love for his Savior. Three times to make up for the three times that he denied him. Isn't God a God of grace and mercy? That even when we turn our backs on him, he's willing and able to forgive us from all manner of sins and restore us into his joy. He is worth serving, church. The God we serve is worth serving. He's worth giving our all to. He's worth it even when you're sleepy and you've got things to do for the kingdom to push yourself the extra mile and say, I'm doing it for my Lord. Just do it. 
because he's worth it. One of the one of the amazing things about following Jesus is that all of his saints gone before you were challenged in their faith. Not single one of them had it easy. You know, as, as you go through the, the, the passages of scripture where Jesus was telling them what his desire was for the kingdom, that as they go out, he wanted them to know that in spite of the opposition, they can be fruitful. In spite of the opposition, they can gain ground. In spite of the things that they're going to face, the wolves that they're going to face, they will conquer. Focusing on him and not on themselves is what gives them the momentum. You know, when we start focusing on ourselves, guess what's going to happen? I'm too tired. I'm too sleepy. But there are times and seasons in our lives where we got to learn to push. I don't know about you, but I'm a pusher. If I was not a pusher, I wouldn't be alive. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. There are nights when I just want some ice cream. I love ice cream. I've tried every brand of ice cream. I look on the calorie content of every ice cream because I love ice cream. And I love a yogurt bar. And I love those cones with the peanuts on top and the chocolate. But I'm a diabetic. And in spite of me and my desires, I gotta push because I wanna be alive. For my grandkids. Something inside of me telling me I need to go on and on and on. So in spite of my taste buds, I got to discipline myself to mitigate an amputation or a heart attack or a stroke. And all the things that diabetes causes in your body. And, and, and I'm not going to be one of these preachers that tell you, don't say the word diabetes. I've had it for 30-something years. So I'm going to deny it for. And pretend I don't have it. And make a fool of myself. The fact of the matter is, even in Jesus' days, there were diseases like diabetes and he healed some and not all of them got healed. Because the miracles were not the mission. The mission was salvation. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, even the wisdom of God. So faith healers will tell you, don't claim it. Well, I'm not claiming it. It's it, it's it. And I can't go to sleep on it. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. And sometimes when I go to the doctor, she forgot that it's over 30-something years I've been diagnosed with this illness because I'm not following the trajectory of a typical diabetic because my pursuit was not to let it overcome me and eat the things that I know are going to send it up, Right? And I think what is true in the natural is true in the physical, in the spiritual. There are things in the spiritual realm that we need to avoid. There are temptations 
that come our way and we need not to go asleep on our desire to follow God. And we have to say no to the sin so that we can be awake in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we have to hunker down and say to ourselves, this is not good for me right now. And you know what may be good for one person? Maybe death to another person. Amen? Like some people can get away with some things. Like I say to my husband sometimes, why are you getting all stirred up? Do you know why I say that? He can get stirred up. His blood pressure will always be 90 over 50 or 60. If I get stirred up, my blood pressure could kill me. Amen? So some people can get away with something and you ought to know yourself. What you can get away with. Some people can harbor grudges and bitterness in their body and in their mind and in their. Do you know bitterness is not just a psychological problem? It affects your DNA, it affects your body, it kills. Do you know racism kills? Do you know injustice kills? Do you know that they have done studies that show that people who suffer from racial di um, disparities tend to carry it in their bodies and it actually is causing death in some populations because of the stress that we carry? Do you know stress kills? But there are some people who can get away with a lot of stress in their bodies. Some of us will die from stress. And so, it's good to have a diagnosis where you can say to yourself, I'm diagnosed with diabetes. Some of you are not going to come back to church because Pastor James is claiming diabetes. <laughs> it's okay to have a diagnosis of high blood pressure. It's better to know what's going on than not know. So you're not caught unawares. Amen? And this is what Jesus was saying. You're going to go into a world that is not going to be favorable to you. And I'm preparing you ahead of time for what is ahead of you. So that you can know how to order your life and how to pray and how to navigate the world in which you're going to live. Post me. Didn't take long. Didn't take long before James was cut down on the steps of the temple. It didn't take long where one by one they went into all the world, but it was a hostile world. And do you know, church, we're still in a hostile world today, but take heart. Do you know that when a person gets saved, their popularity do not go up? When you make a decision to serve Jesus, your popularity goes this way. Friends forsake you. <laughs> Foes assail you. <laughs> that is just how it is. When you are a Christian and you declare you're a Christian in any space, you're going to lose friends. And sometimes you're going to lose family. Jesus himself lost a lot. When he returned to his, his, his hometown in Capernaum, they said, isn't he Mary's son, the carpenter child? Who he think he is? He's a nobody. And they refused to follow him. And he was ineffective in his own home. In his own home country. Because they rejected him. Jesus knew what rejection is. Was. And I'm telling you church. What should keep us going. Is that we are doing Jesus' work. And if he has been rejected. Who are we? So I want to encourage us today. To live out our call. 
Live it out in the workplace. Don't deny him. Don't fall asleep on the job. Don't stop announcing the kingdom of God. Don't stop telling people about the kingdom of God. Don't hide that you're a Christian. Listen, I work in places where the Muslims are not afraid to let the whole world know they're Muslim. They're not afraid to talk about their Quran. They're not afraid to talk about their beliefs. I work in places where the Hindus are not afraid to tell you that they're Hindu and that they're, they're celebrating Diwali and all of these things. They're not afraid to tell you. In fact, they do more than declare it. They got everybody in the, in, 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 in the hospital or wherever you work wearing hijab, uh, not hijab, but you know, the, the Hindu clothes and everybody looking like that and celebrating like them. But what do we Christians do? We deny Jesus because we don't want to talk about him for fear. Some of us are like this young man. The minute they attack, we run for our lives. We don't run away naked and leave our cloak behind. But in, in, in theory, we run because every time the conversation of faith comes up, we clam up. We have nothing to say. Especially when our faith clash with the issues of our day. The deep stuff of our times that nobody wants to talk about. And so we avoid having discussions about our faith because we don't want to come across as one of them. Or we don't want to make people think that we think we're better than them. And here are some of the lines they use. Oh, you people who are Christians, you're so narrow-minded. Oh, you people who are Christians, you want to jam your faith down everybody's throat. And what do we do? We recoil. We pull back. We clam up. We have nothing more to say. We are like Peter and the others. We deny him. How many times? Can you count? How many times we've denied to share our faith out of fear and repercussions? But the task is still for us to go. The task is still for us to inspire and to be fruitful and to grow and to be missional in our call to follow hard after God and God's will. Jesus had to do that in the garden. He said, take this cup from me, Lord. I really don't want it. It's too hard. Sometimes the faith journey can be tough. It can be hard. But like all Christ, we have to say, nevertheless, whatever you desire, God, that I'll do. It's going to cost dearly. It's going to cost me everything. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to reject me, it's still a message for every believer. Do we count the cost? Do we throw in the towel? Do we step back and say, I'm giving enough. That's enough I'm giving. Do we, do we measure how much of our lives and ourselves and our income and our, 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 our life journey do we say, this is for God and the whole rest is for me? Or are we ready to throw it all in? And today, I just want to encourage us to live out our call. Walk in our calling no matter what. No matter what. Ignore the distractions, the hardships, the detractors, and even the suffering. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, I will not give to God anything that does cost me nothing. And in closing, I just want to borrow from a devotional that I read. It's an excerpt from Praying Through the Bible. It compares the life of faith as a tree. The planting of the Lord. You know, I have to go there, right? That's who we are. We're the planting of the Lord to display the splendor of his glory. Not a half-dead tree. But like an olive tree. An olive tree in scripture represents growth. Those of you who love olive oil, olive oil is an amazing oil. 
It's powerful. It's healing. It's productive. It can do miracles for your body. It can even lower your cholesterol and stuff like that. And for your hair and your skin, it can do so much. It's the epitome of health and growth. And this writer says, being a follower who's thriving and living the call of God on their lives, I am like an olive tree. Thriving in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. He's quoting Psalm 52 and 8. That's David speaking. And, and he prefaced David in this psalm. He prefaced it by talking about his enemies because it was when Egod went to Abimelech's house to complain about David. And David felt like he was surrounded by enemies and, and stress and strife and confusion and even death. It was tough. But even in that moment, David declared, in spite of all that is going on around me, in spite of the threats against me, in spite of the fact that I'm cornered like a bird and the enemy is about to attack me, he says, I am like a tree, an olive tree, thriving in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. We can trust in God and thrive in this generation. We can trust in God and thrive no matter what the enemy throws at us. Because throughout scripture, God has shown his prominence time and time again. Just like the olive tree was known as a tree that persevered. It stood with great endurance under the adverse conditions, it stood. The man who is secure in God's presence, or woman, is a symbol of God's power. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. You know, it is not those moments and those seasons where everything is going great, we're praising God. But when we're going through and we're praising God, that is strength. That is power. When David compared himself with an olive tree, he was declaring his faith and trust in God as the one who enabled him to be strong. Not only to survive, but also to thrive and bear fruit no matter how his enemies pursued him. And we're talking about spiritual fruit. We're not talking about fighting with weapons, although he was a man of bloodshed and warfare. In this season, all that David could do was just trust in God and be strong. He voiced through the symbolism of the olive tree his determination to grow in God's presence and to live a life of faith, seeking only to fulfill the will of God and become his alone. In whatever circumstances you may find yourself in today, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you can empower you to stand. Stand as a mighty, flourishing, growth-building olive tree. Full of vitality that comes from living anchored in God's unfailing love. You know, the enemy wants us in the church not to enjoy life. And you know, as believers, sometimes we prove him right. Somebody said, if you want to see miserable people, go to church. It's part, part of it is religion, really. Because we've been cultured into this stoicism 
where we come to church and we just sit down like that. Truth be told, <laughs> our face doesn't always reflect what's going on in our heart, right? But it tells the story sometimes, the way we look, amen? But we want to be a people that exhibit vitality, amen? Look happy, even if you don't feel happy. Just look happy, because you're being a witness, amen? And, you know, I was watching, I'm not going to call no names. But you ever watch some of these female wives of some of these male politicians? They're standing beside them, and they got that fixed smile, almost wax-like. Can you do that? You know, us people of the Caribbean descent, we like to talk about, I'm not going to go around looking fake, so I'm not going to smile. I'm going to show everybody how I look and feel. But sometimes smile, smiling not just helps other people, but it helps you. Have you ever forced yourself to smile? Have you gone through a day where you haven't smiled all day? Huh? And then near the end of the day, you realize, what? I haven't even smiled all day. Come on. It happens to me. Sometimes I go through the day and I wonder if I breathe all day. Because I'm kind of asthmatic. I tend to hold my breath. And I got to remind myself, come on, girl, breathe. Take a few deep breaths. Inhale and exhale. Smiling is like that. You can go through your whole day and don't smile. Especially if you watch the news all day. Am I right or wrong? Smiling actually lifts your spirit and eases your stress. But more than that, I believe it is helping us to demonstrate that even when things are not going great and there's nothing to smile for, I'll make myself smile in the name of Jesus. Amen? Because it's good for me. Amen? I will eat vegetables, green vegetables only because it's good for me. I will do what it takes to make me well. And I believe that this is where sometimes the denial of self and the Holy Spirit merges together. We can't just sit back and say the Holy Spirit will do the work. We have to join with the Holy Spirit and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. I believe it is God's will for us believers to live in vitality. You know what vitality means? Well-being. Feeling good, feeling strong, feeling powerful, feeling great. And it, it is not necessarily dependent on pain in your life. C.S. Lewis talks about, you know, the fact that pain does not nullify joy. Hardship does not nullify joy. The Bible says, Jesus for the joy that was set before him. He endured all that was given unto him because of the joy of fulfilling his mission. Amen? And like David, even in the midst of hardship, I don't, I don't want to just survive today, but I want to thrive. I want to thrive. And sometimes in order to thrive, we've got to Separate ourselves from the things that keep pulling you down. Because until we're thriving, we cannot display the splendor of his glory planting community church. Right? If we're just merely getting by, nobody's impressed with that. But if we're thriving and flourishing and we're, we're just displaying the fruits of the spirit, guess what? We are that planting of the Lord for the display of his glory and his splendor. I don't know about you, but I want to shine, Jesus, shine. 
in my life today. I don't want to be just a, a Christian. I want to be a Christian that is strong and powerful and full of vitality and vigor. I want to thrive. I don't want to just be a fruit one year and, and the next year I'm just dormant. I want my, 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 my tree to flourish. Amen? I want to produce. I want to produce fruit. I want my life to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want others to see the oil of joy. The oil of joy. I want others to see the gladness and the healing. And I want the very presence of God to be displayed in my life. What about you? But it's not for my sake. But it's for the sake of those who so desperately need him. To see that in you, Jesus really do exist. Amen? In you, he exists and dwell among us. Amen? You who are called are a reflection of the glory of God because in you, Christ, come to dwell and dwell richly. And so today I want to encourage us to let him do what he pleases to do with you. I ask you today to desire only him. I ask you today to be holy unequivocally be devoted to him. That's Brother Lawrence's words. I want to be sold out completely to Jesus.